Okay, please find a comfortable and relaxed posture. Keep your back straight as much as you can. And gently close your eyes lovingly and kindly. Please take few mindful, peaceful breaths to relax your mind and body. Breathe in, breathe out peacefully and slowly. And slowly observe your mind, same time your body. Relax your body. Get comfortable with your posture. And slowly bring your attention to this moment. Maybe your mind is still running around wandering thoughts. Breathe in peacefully, breathe out peacefully. Let's practice loving thoughts towards yourself. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. Try to be a loving and kind person to yourself. May I be content, may I be patient, may I learn to care for myself with joy and ease.
having loving motivational thoughts towards yourself now you can focus on your loved ones may my loved ones be filled with loving kindness may they be well in mind and body may they be learn to care for themselves happily maybe you might have in some difficult time with somebody who's living with you without thinking negative thoughts about those people try to practice your loving kindness towards those people who's giving you a hard time Now slowly bring your attention to all the living beings. You can continue your practice using same words or your own words to practice loving thoughts towards all the living beings. Now mindfully and slowly bring attention to your breath your natural breath without forcing without controlling your breath watch your breath mindfully without thinking future past keep your attention to the tip of your nose then you can feel your breath breathe in mindfully breathe out mindfully
when you are inhaling you know that your body is inhaling when you are exhaling you know that your body is exhaling you might have in thoughts let them come and go Now take a few peaceful deep breaths. Breathe in and breathe out. Slowly and peacefully. Breathe in, I'm in peace. Breathe out, I'm in peace. Feel the breath. Feel that peacefulness. Embrace it. Please bring your hands together in front of your heart. And today this moment appreciate your time, your participation, your practice. Be mindful, be patient and diligent with yourself. Make sure to apply this practice whenever you need in your day-to-day life. may not any difficulties come to you may not any dangers come to you may your loved ones be well happy and peaceful may all the living beings be well happy and peaceful thank you so much slowly open your eyes thank you <clears throat> So today we are not going to do our chanting. So uh, Todd Nielsen, our dear friend, he's going to do a, a PowerPoint presentation about uh, something special. I don't even know what he's going to do. <laughs> so we will figure it out. So then later on, if you have any question, uh, you can ask Todd. Okay? No.
Okay, <laughs> sorry. So yes, my name is Todd Nielsen, and I will be giving the talk tonight. Um, if you cannot see the screen, feel free to move anywhere so you can see the screen. And thank you for that beautiful meditation, Bhante Asaji. I'm going to sit down. I'm also getting over a cold, so um, forgive me if I cough up a lung or whatever happens. So uh, this is a talk, is how the Buddha taught his method of answering questions. I think most of this information came from Bhikkhu Bodhi. A long time ago I wrote this. And see if it works. Okay, the Buddha made it clear that right, I'm a very visual person, so if I hear someone talking about something or other, you know, an hour later I've forgotten everything. <clears throat> so I like to see things written out, so um, I'm just going to read these slides. The Buddha made it clear that right view, that is knowledge and understanding, and right mindfulness are necessary for liberation and enlightenment. He said, monks, there are these two conditions for the arising of right view. Which two? The voice of another, that is learning, and appropriate attention, that is mindfulness. And that's found in the Anguttara Nikaya, which is a collection of the uh, suttas spoken by the Buddha. Sorry. Okay. The purpose of learning, that is the purpose of discussion, of counsel, of drawing near, of lending an ear, that is the liberation of the mind through no clinging. When presented with a question, the Buddha focused on three issues the way the question was framed by the questioner, the topic of the question, and the mental state of the questioner. This subject is presented in the Anguttara twice. Furthermore, he answered questions in four different ways, and sometimes in a combination of the four ways. What are the four ways? There are these four ways of answering questions. Which four? These are the words he spoke. Number one, there are questions that should be answered categorically. In other words, straightforwardly, yes or no, this or that, true or false, etc. So the uh, questions, the answers to the questions should be put into categories. Usually two, yes or no, or this or that, or it could be three, this or that, or the other, or it could be put in 50 categories, such as what are the states in the United States. So those are categorical answers. <clears throat> Number two, there are questions that should be answered with an analytical or a qualified answer, clarifying, defining, or redefining the terms of the question. Three, there are questions that should be answered with a counter-question. And four, there are questions that should be put aside, in other words, not answered. These are the four ways of answering questions. That's also from the Anguttara Nikaya. Number one, what type of answers may be defined as categorical? Answers that don't change when dealing with changing circumstances are categorical. The Buddha himself labeled only two of his teachings as categorical. The first is a distinction between good and bad, bodily, verbal, and mental conduct. The second is a Four Noble Truths. Acting on any of these teachings leads universally specific outcomes. All other categorical questions are merely subsets of these two. As Sariputta said, Sariputta is uh, the, I guess you'd call him the head disciple of the Buddha. As Sariputta said, just as the footprints of all legged animals are encompassed by the footprint of the elephant, 
And the elephant's footprint is reckoned the foremost among them in, si in terms of size. In the same way, all skillful qualities are included in the Four Noble Truths. That's from the Majjhima Nikaya. Two, what type of answers may be defined as analytical? Analytical answers are those that analyze a question, statement, or topic by giving a detailed explanation of all its important points. However, sometimes it is necessary to analyze a question in order to reframe the issue appropriately so that a categorical answer may be given. Either the question has been stated in inappropriate terms due to mistaken assumptions, or too few variables have been considered to make the question viable. An example of the first type of question using mistaken assumption is, what type of rebirth is determined by a person's present caste? Of course, the answer is a person's caste has no bearing on his or her rebirth, only their actions do. An example of a second type, too few variables, is a question posed by a wandering monk. He asked the Buddha what kind of karma or kama a person accumulates by performing a mental action. The Buddha realizes that he meant to ask what does a person experience when performing a mental, verbal, or bodily action, and what does the experience lead to? The answer is a pleasant, an unpleasant, or a neutral feeling leading to attachment, aversion, or delusion, those three famous three poisons. The Buddha went on to explain clinging and the twelve links in the chain of dependent origination to the monk. Three, what type of question should be answered with a counter-question? A counter-question. There are two closely related times when a question should be answered by a counter-question. In the first instance, answering with a question begins the process of discussion and debate between the Buddha and his listeners and students. In this way, the questioner could have all of his or her doubts addressed and removed. This shows that the Buddha was not only interested in providing answers, but that he wanted to make sure that his students thoroughly understood the answers. In the second instance, the Buddha recommended self-questioning as the best way to understand the differences between wholesome, skillful, blameless actions and their opposites. Okay, so uh, he, um, this is what he said. Consider what is skillful, venerable sir? What is unskillful? This he's talking to someone. What is skillful, venerable sir? What is unskillful? What is blameworthy? What is blameless? What should be cultivated? What should be abandoned? What, having been done by me, will be for my long-term harm and suffering? Or what, having been done by me, will be for my long-term benefit and happiness. A very good example of answering a question with questions is provided by the famous Kalama Sutta. Uh, this sutta tells a story of a group of villagers who belonged to the Kalama tribe. They lived on the periphery of the sophisticated society that was developing in the Ganges Valley at the time of the Buddha, 2600 years ago and they were unfamiliar with the philosophies and theories of the various schools of thought developing at that time. The Kalamas were troubled by the constant parade of monks, priests, and yogis who passed through their town, each espousing a universal doc doctrine while disparaging all the others. When the Buddha came to their village, the villagers asked him about it. But instead of lecturing them in the Buddha, using a series of questions, told them in a roundabout way that they already knew the answer. 
So, Venerable Sir, there is doubt, there is uncertainty in us concerning them, meaning the other monks and priests who had come through town. The Kalamas told the Buddha, which of these reverend monks and priests speak the truth and which speak falsehood? The Buddha replied, of course you are uncertain, Kalamas, of course you are in doubt. When there are reasons for doubt, uncertainty is born. He continued, what do you think, Kalamas? When greed arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm? For harm, Lord. And this greedy person, overcome by greed, his mind possessed by greed, kills living beings, takes what is not given, goes after another person's spouse, tells lies, or induces others to do likewise. Do all these actions lead to long-term harm and suffering? Yes, Lord. Likewise, when hatred arises in a person, or when delusion arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm? For harm, Lord. So what do you think, Kalamas? Are these qualities skillful or unskillful? Unskillful, Lord. Blameworthy or blameless? Blameworthy, Lord. Criticized by the wise or praised by the wise? Criticized by the wise, Lord. When adopted and carried out, do they lead to harm and to suffering or not? When adopted and carried out, they do lead to harm and suffering. That is how it appears to us. <clears throat> what do you think, Kalamas, when lack of greed arises in a person? Does it arise for welfare or for harm? Well, for welfare, Lord. And this generous person, not overcome by greed, is mind and not possessed by greed, doesn't kill living beings, doesn't take what is not giving, doesn't go after another person's spouse, doesn't tell lies or induce others to do likewise. Do all these actions lead to long-term welfare and happiness? Yes, Lord. Likewise, when lack of hatred arises in a person or when lack of delusion arises in a person, does it arise for welfare or for harm? For welfare, Lord. Ooh. It's going a little crazy. So, what do you think, Kalamas? Are these qualities skillful or unskillful? Skillful, Lord. Blameworthy or blameless? Blameless, Lord. Criticized by the wise or praised by the wise? Praised by the wise, Lord. When adopted and carried out, do they lead to welfare and to happiness or not? When adopted and carried out, they lead to welfare and happiness. That is how it appears to us. Oh, dear. Okay. The Buddha continued, It is proper for you, Kalamas, to doubt, to be uncertain. Come, Kalamas, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration this monk is our teacher. When you yourselves know these non-virtuous things are bad, these things are bl blame, blameable, these things are censured by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to harm and ill, abandon them. When you yourselves know these virtuous things are good, these things are not blameable, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness. Enter on and abide in them. So this is from the Kalama Sutta, which is in the Anguttara Nikaya. 
Pardon me. Okay, now my favorite part. Number four, what type of answers should be set aside? The Buddha understood that answering certain questions would be unhelpful in some situations, but not in others, largely for reasons of etiquette. For instance, it would be rude and divisive, divisive to disparage the teachings and attainments of teachers of the other sects or schools. It would also be rude and divisive to tell someone point blank that their livelihoods are unskillful. If a teacher disparages another teacher, his motives become suspect. If he criticizes a particular occupation, he risks setting himself up as a judge condemning those who did not ask for his opinion. It is better to remain silent on this matter until people have had time to assimilate the teachings about skillful actions. At other times, the Buddha concluded that answering some questions would not be helpful in any situation because they are inherently unconducive to liberation and enlightenment, or nirvana. A good example of this are the ten unanswered questions. So what are the ten unanswered questions? The Buddha considered the questions concerning the creation of the world and universe and the nature of a person's soul unworthy of contemplation. He said speculation of that type will lead only to disputes, bewilderment, and fanaticism and does nothing to alleviate the suffering in the world or for individuals. So I think we're all um, familiar with this, about all the different religions arguing amongst themselves about these very questions. What should be studied is not existence itself, but the phenomena engendered by existence. The only, condition, the only questions worthy of attention are the causes and conditions of such phenomena, how to deal with them in one's correct attitude toward them. So phenomena are things that are seen and heard and tasted by our senses, felt and everything like that. So the only questions worthy of attention are the causes and conditions of these phenomena, such as pain or sadness or depression or anger or, you know, 108,000 different uh, emotions that we all have. So what are the questions? Questions one and two. Are the body and consciousness one and the same? Or are they two completely separate entities? Questions three and four. Is the universe spatially finite or infinite? Questions five and six. Is time finite or infinite? Questions seven through 10. And this is a good example of Indian logic, Asian Indian logic. Does the consciousness of a flightened being or a Tathagata exist after the death of the Tathagata's body? Or does it not? Or does it both exist and not exist? Or does it neither exist nor not exist? So they're covering all four bases. So those are the ten questions that the Buddha said don't even think about it, you'll just drive yourself crazy and get in arguments. And also by answering in specific ways, one may reveal one's belief in either nihilism, sometimes pronounced nihilism, or eternalism. A nihilist will say that the body and consciousness are one and the same so that when his or her body dies, so too will his or her own consciousness. Therefore, for the nihilist, the universe and time are finite because they will cease to exist for the nihilist when the body dies. The same will happen to a Tathagata's consciousness after death. 
And because there is no future existence, there is no need to practice the virtues or a spiritual path in this life. An eternalist will say that the body and consciousness are separate. Consciousness is eternal and unchanging after the body dies in this life, a God-created soul and a God-created universe. Depending on the actions taken only in this life, a soul will spend eternity in heaven or hell, unchanged and unchanging, and therefore the universe and time are infinite. And there were also, at the time of the Buddha, some people also believed that there is a permanent, unchanging self that has and will exist throughout eternity, along with an unchanging world. So it's a sort of weird theory, but I don't think anyone ascribes to it anymore. The theory that you live the same life over and over and over and over in the same body, in the same world. So the Buddha taught the middle way between such extreme views, which is dependent origination. So we can't discuss that tonight because that would take another three years. <laughs> so this is a beautiful uh, representation of the Buddha teaching. And up above him you can see the gods have come down to listen to his teaching. And at the bottom you can just see the face of one of the monks listening to his teaching. So thanks for listening, and let's make a dedication. May the merit of our efforts benefit all sentient beings. Okay, now if anyone has any questions or comments, hop to it. Okay. Yes. In that last piece of artwork, you mentioned the gods were those Hindu gods? Uh, well, the uh, Buddhist um, and the Hindu gods are slightly different, but it's more or less the same. So in Buddhism, there is, um, a, if you want to have it, there is a belief in the heavenly realm populated by gods, but all those gods are just there temporarily. They're just like humans. They live much longer than we do, but they will eventually die and be reborn somewhere. There's also a hell realm, and there's the animal realm, which you can see, and then there's the um, spirit, we call it ghost realm, or the spirit realm, where people who die unexpectedly, or they're very attached to a place, they might be reborn as a spirit just temporarily, because they can't really let go of where they came from, or they died so suddenly they don't realize that they're dead. So, um, so the, those are the six realms of existence in Buddhism. Okay, <laughs> you're welcome. So of course it's best to be reborn as a human because we have the greatest intelligence and the greatest willpower and we can lead a spiritual life. Of course animals are always a, looking for hell, you can't think of anything. And if you say, you're la-di-la-di-la, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to live up here in heaven for a while. So it's best to be reborn as a human, it's very, very rare. So do not throw your life away. Any more questions or comments? Yes. Um, uh, if I can back up this horrible thing, I mean this lovely thing. I think I gave a citation. Oh, I didn't, sorry. No, it isn't a... It isn't a sutta. Um, I didn't write down which sutta it is, though. I'm sorry. You can do some research and tell us later. Right, so we have a very, according to Buddhist philosophy, we all have a very subtle consciousness that goes from life to life. And that subtle consciousness is um, stained, I guess is a good word, or um, stains a good word, by the actions of our body. In other words, if we kill someone, this subtle consciousness, that's bad karma to kill someone, this subtle consciousness will be 
um, influenced by that bad karma. And if we're very nice, then we have good karma, and that subtle consciousness will be influenced by these good actions that we do with our body. So it's it's hard to sit, you know, hard to separate the two. It's the body and the um, subtle consciousness. But this is a question that the Buddha said, don't even bother thinking about it, because you'll just drive yourself crazy and you'll get in arguments. So let's not answer that question. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the Buddha was a pretty good, I guess, psychologist, you'd say, or scientist. Anyway, he was very smart. That's why he's got that bump on his head. That's where his extra brain up there. <laughs> uh, any other questions or comments? We have more time, right? Yeah, also I would like to uh, mention uh, the Tadi was explaining about the sutta, uh, one, one of the famous sutta, even before he started explaining it, I pulled out this uh, paper which was sitting here for months. <laughs> one time I was thinking to give a Dhamma talk, while he was explaining I just look at this. So the sutta called Kalama Sutta, uh, please go and read that sutta. So uh, that sutta is explaining uh, what already he explained. So just experience by yourself. So we are always teaching some many teachings here, but whatever you learn from us, from the teachings, go and uh, read and learn. If it is fit for you, if it is fit for your science or philosophy, then then try to practice it. If it is, doesn't fit, come and ask any questions. So the good thing about the Buddhist teachings, you can always ask any questions. So um, then uh, the questioning, questioning all the time. And also Buddha said, uh, uh, there's a Pali word, it's called Ehipasika. It is mean come and see, uh, not come and believe. So you can come and you can see the teachings. If it is fit for you, you can keep practice, keep continue. So therefore the sutta, what he was explaining, is very special sutta. Uh, so therefore, uh, please go and read and find more information. So I just found this on uh, Google. So I printed this uh, months ago to share with you all. So they taught explain that. So uh, it is a really good sutta. <clears throat> Thank you, Bhante. There's still time to explain that because you're not leaving till the 14th, right? What is that? You're not leaving until the 14th no. of August. Yeah. So there's still time. <laughs> Um, have you got all the uh, supplies you need for your trip back to Sri Lanka, uh, or do you need I more? I have almost a lot of stuff, so many people are donating. I want to say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay, I'm going to read the announce. Read the... Yes. Right. That's spirit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's one of the realms. Um, hungry ghosts. Hungry ghosts are never set. For people who are never satisfied in life, some of the hungry ghosts have very, very thin necks, like a straw or throats, but their stomach is enormous, even bigger than this one. And so they're never satisfied. And when they try to eat something, then fire comes out of their mouth. So I guess that's a good um, explanation of addiction. All right, now, so thank you, Todd, for the presentation. So if you can find those, all the information uh, that Todd mentioned, different uh, resources, and the 10 questions, uh, also I don't remember the uh, discourse, the sutta, so and please go and uh, find information, and if you have any questions, please bring them to us. Great, okay. Um, uh, there's not enough people to pass around the donation basket, but there's a donation box by the door when you're leaving. The temple and the uh, monks are 100% supported by our donations, so please consider making a donation. The temple has a booth at the farmer's market every Saturday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Please visit us for delicious Sri Lankan food and more. Um, Friday, this coming Friday, we need help down in the kitchen.
um, to prepare that food, uh, starting from 10 to 12 or however long it takes. Um, especially now with Monte Asaji leaving, we need more help. August 13th, the Noble Friends Picnic. I believe that's a Saturday. No, Sunday. Noble Friends Picnic, 11 a.m. at Emerson Park. We'll be meeting at the main pavilion overlooking the baseball field. Please bring a dish to share and even outdoor games if you'd like. On August 19th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., Todd Neal, oh, that's me. Todd Nielsen will be hosting a drawing workshop using images of the Buddha from Tibetan iconometry. In other words, using a, a grid. Um, this is a fun and rewarding workshop. Be sure to register online. There's a QR code on, a, on the poster in the Dhamma Hall, and also you can go right to Eventbrite, or you can go to our Facebook page and do it from there. Or you can go to the calendar and do it from there. It's uh, $20 and all materials are included. You don't have to be good at drawing. In fact, you don't have to know drawing at all. But you do have to be able to read a ruler, what is one inch and what is one and a half inch, things like that. And you do have to be able to draw a straight line using a ruler. So I think all of you can do that. So please join. It's a lot of fun. Also on the 19th will be our wonderful gong bath meditation, Gongtopia, from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Tickets are $30 and can be purchased using the QR code in the social hall or the shoe, or the shoe room. And then important dates, August 16th, outdoor meditation. That's next Wednesday. Outdoor meditation with Monte Sujata from 7 to 8 p.m. in Emerson Park. So uh, I would like to add one more thing to that. So we are not gathering here, so temple will be closed. So if you are coming next Wednesday, uh, please come to the Woodstock uh, Emerson Park, uh, just up on the, the pond. Right on the hill with the oak trees yeah, above yeah, that little lake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, August 30th, Moonlight Meditation with Bhante Sujata, 7 to 8 p.m. at Hackmatack Retreat Center in, it, in Richmond. <coughs> Pardon me, Richmond. August 26th, the Temple Open House. August 23rd, International Fundraising Feast, which is always a lot of fun. 4 to 7 p.m. at the Blue Lotus Temple downstairs. We have our third annual International Fundraiser Feast coming in September. And we would, and we are looking for services, experiences, or gently used items that would be wonderful as raffle items. Please contact Tess or Rebecca in the office if there's anything you would like to give for the raffle. And then finally, October 28th, the precept ceremony. Very important ceremony. 11, sorry, 10 to 11 a.m. And the dates for the classes which you should take are on the board in the social hall. So the five precepts are um, something that uh, Buddhists, some, take, some people take them every day. Um, for this particular ceremony, if you haven't taken them before, um, Bhante Sujata probably, or at least the monks, will lead us in taking the five precepts. If you've already taken them, you can retake them. And if this is your first time you take, you take them, you will get a Buddhist name from Bhante Sujata. My Buddhist name is Dhammaka. And you can get your own Buddhist name. It might be uh, Asaji, you never know. <laughs> and uh, so that's in October 28th. So think about doing that. Uh, also, any new people here today? Do you have any new ones, new people? I guess not. Okay. So I know it is a lot of information and uh, a lot of announcements. So you can go to bulletin board. Everything is there. So if you do not receive our emails, you can sign up for the emails. And if you have any question, please come and ask. Oh, so, so Todd mentioned Friday. If you have free time, please come uh, to Temple Kitchens. So we are cooking on Friday. You can come and help us. Also, you can learn a free uh, Sri Lankan cooking lessons. So please come if you have time on Fridays. Uh, and also, if you allow to clean the temple during the week, uh, nine to four, you can come any time and you can clean the temple. So it is, uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, so other information in the bulletin board, please ask if you have any questions. So thanks so much for coming.
you have a great night